Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here today to continue our expectations series, and we're going to talk about two Ravens today, one offense and one defense, and those are James Prochet and Demarion Pepe Williams. Here to talk to me, with me, about them is Brad McGowan. Brad, how you doing? Ken, I'm doing great. I love the series. I love participating in the series, so thanks for including me. No, it's, uh, it's great. We have a lot of voices here. People got to take players that they're kind of interested in. Uh, I will say this is the one with the least potential, I think, to get starting playing time of the groups we've had so far. Most, almost all of them had one, you know, fairly sure starter and another one who was, you know, pl- maybe playing for the, the the corner of the roster. Prochet and Williams are a couple players who are, you know, a little bit more difficulty in terms of exactly where they are relative to the Ravens this year. So let's talk about James Prochet first, if that's okay. Uh, he's entering his fourth season, uh, be 27 in September, and already a UFA after the 2023 seasons. He's one of a large group of year four players 
that are on the Ravens are going to have a lot of guys who are going to free agency after this year. This year is actually a relatively light one with Ben Powers uh, being the major player that they lost. Yeah. <laughs> you made the comment off the bat about the upside of these of these two guys. And sticking with, with James, I mean, so previously I did one of these podcasts and we did mm-hmm. Bateman, Rashad Bateman and Angela Blackson and, uh, you know, Bateman obviously has a lot of upside for this team, and and we talked through that. And um, when we talked about doing this pod, Crochet and uh, Pepe, um, you know, the curious thing to me about them is that they they strike me. I mean, not to not to not to divulge too much up front, but they're 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 kind of similar play, player profiles offense and defense at, at different points in their career. But, you know, yeah. candidly, I think if, if both of these players make the roster, like that's a big win for each guy. Like both of these guys, I think are going to really fight to make the roster. Obviously, Demary Williams is in the second season. He's going to have a little bit more leeway, but Crochet specifically, I, I honestly, like, I think he's going to struggle to make this team. I would agree completely. And, uh, you know, one of the things you can, you can look at, directly is that year four players um if you want to figure out who's going to get cut just look at the year four players those are the guys who are all they start camp on the bubble uh you know you have star players who are not in any danger and then you have the rest and the rest of the guys they're all you know even if they're okay players or kind of on the margin of the roster or they were okay in year two and three they become not okay in year four because of the option to reset those players with players who have more uh, option value remaining, more more sand in the hourglass of, in terms of team control. So uh, obviously with Prochet, that's a that's a pretty significant issue. It's not his contract. He's making about a million dollars this year. It's what he signed for originally. Uh, they have some prorated bonus that they've already paid him. That doesn't even figure into it. But the base salary is about a million. And uh, is you know it's not he's, he hasn't earned any any escalators that that put him out of the Ravens price range. It's just a matter of do they want to keep away around a guy on year four who had really a disastrous year three. Yeah, his season last year was really disappointing. So you know, going into last season, a lot of the uh, a lot of the hype surrounding the Ravens receivers and famously, well, not famously, but in the last offseason, they chose to more or less remain pat. In fact, they traded away Hollywood Brown on draft night, uh, netted them a first round pick, um, <clears throat> which got used them. It on the center. <laughs> exactly. Use it on the center. But, you know, candidly, um, I, I, I will go on the record to say that I think Hollywood Brown was, probably to this point the most one of the most successful ravens receiver draft picks ever i mean it's between him and tory smith to this point uh, as as to who had the more productive career i thought um you know hollywood was pretty effective lamar trusted him and at the same time he was going into his fourth season and they had to make the decision about picking up his fifth year option and and frankly the fact that they were able to trade him for a first round pick was pretty incredible i mean Fevery. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so uh, obviously a lot of times we talk about these trades and we say like, if you can get a guy for a first round pick, it's a no brainer. You have to make that pick. And 
Linderbaum had an effective first season. I think, you know, you, you've talked famously that I've I've said the word famously a couple of times, my apologies, but you have talked, yeah, totally. (laughs) You have talked a lot about, he was, he was a much more effective run blocker than pass blocker. Pass blocking is so much more valuable than run blocking. And so the jury is out as to whether that was a, um, the, the value in that trade as it pans out as, as effective as Linderbaum's career is, you know, that remains to be seen. Well, let me just start by that's two separate decisions. I mean, because, because they traded him for 23, they they could, they could have taken Kair Elam and then got their, got their center later. You know, Zach Tom is a guy that I liked who ended up, I think playing a lot of tackle, but I think he'd have been fine at center too. So if they wanted to have played it differently, they still could have. And, you know, Linderbaum, People think I'm very polar negative on Linderbaum. I'm not at all. I think he had a he had a good year to start. I just think it's so misrepresented in the PFF stats, uh, the PFF combined rating stats that I feel the need to talk about it because you know Baltimore fans seem to think he's going to the Pro Bowl next year. It ain't happening, or he's he's he wouldn't deserve it if he did. In all likelihood, he'd take a like a huge jump forward in terms of his play. So you know they had different ways to do it. And I I don't blame DaCosta. Sorry, I I. I'm, I I think the trade of Marquise Brown was a fantastic one in terms of value returned. If there's any complaint about it, it's how they deployed that draft capital on the as they turned it around. Totally fair. And the, and the one thing that I want to uh, I I think you have the point you have made about Linderbaum specifically, and I think this is a very fair point, And I want people to to to, to get on this is that relative to rookie offensive linemen, he had incredibly yeah. successful yes. rookie season. Very true. He had an incredibly successful rookie season. It just wasn't as good as people made it out to be, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like the trajectory he is on is a good trajectory. So, and, 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 and to your point though, the, the trade of Marquise Brown netted incredible value. So going back to Prochet, why we went down this path in the first place, why I brought this up is going into last season, the Ravens decided that they were going to stand pat. They added Demarcus Robinson late in camp as a, one of their uh, low-dollar value uh, mm-hmm. veterans to bring in, but they they stood pat with Bateman, uh, decidedly was going to be the number one. They had um, <clears throat> Duvernay and Prochet coming into their third seasons. They had added Keith Williams and T. Martin in the offseason to coach those guys up. And, and so the hope was that between what they invested in in the draft previously and the coaching that they would have enough in the receiving core to get by. And boy, was it not enough last mm-hmm. season. It was an incredibly disappointing season. So this year, so uh, we had previously done the um, the Bateman podcast and the, and the prep mm-hmm. for going into this season. He had a fantastic start of the season. He got hurt in that third game against Buffalo and then, you know, was out two games, limped through two games, and then was put on the shelf. Mm-hmm. I, I was listening. I was listening to a conversation um, uh, by the Sharp Football guys today, talking about the Ravens' pass game, sans Lamar, over the last two seasons, and why I think this is really relevant in the conversation with Prochet is that after Bateman goes down, you know, Prochet had a chance to step up. Um, you know, I he, he had a couple decent games in 2021. He had a good game against Denver. 
uh, in the middle of the season where he had, I don't know, seven or eight catches or so and, and, and 70 yards. And then he had a good game late in the season. And so like the, the projection was going up going into last season for him, but when Bateman went down, they really needed someone to step up and he was nowhere to be found. And, you know, I, I was looking, I was listening to some of these numbers of the passing offense without Lamar and Last year down the stretch, there were some guys injured, but, you know, uh, Prochet had a chance to impact that. But these passing numbers down the stretch, the offense without Lamar was abysmal. Um, and they averaged 5.3 yards each per Each of the last game. two years. Exactly. Like, this is the last two seasons. And so I just, you know, there's, there's I think the biggest question facing the passing offense going into this season is how does the Munkin scheme impact everyone's ability in the offense writ large? But I just, and, and, and perhaps Prochet is a gentleman who could benefit from that, but he's not put it on tape. Yeah, let, let me unpack some of that, all right? Because because there's a there's a there's a lot to do there and totally. I, for 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 Prochet I mean I think we need to kind of separate what happened in 22 and frankly kind of flush the toilet on that season and and just just get it out there but I, the, the metrics are are absolutely awful but so is the focus on the field really had a lot of trouble hanging with the football keeping his feet in the right place including not out of bounds. Uh, but the, 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 the metrics are terrible. Yards per reception uh, were lousy. 0.47 yards per route run. Caught eight of 17 balls. 56.5 passer rating throwing to him. Of that, 39.6 came from the fact that he didn't have any interceptions thrown to him. So almost nothing else from, from, from any other contributions. And the, all, the all-time killer is 3.6 yards per target. But here is the other factor here that if you look at 2021 it was only 20 i think it was 20 targets he had might i might be slightly wrong no it's 20 targets for 202 yards 10.1 yards per target and an 80% catch rate now it, those two numbers they don't belong on the same permanent record of any receiver on consecutive seasons unless maybe some sort of injury is involved. And, and that wasn't the case with Brochet, at least to the degree I know. He might have been he might have missed a game for a minor injury at, at, at some point. But with him, it was a lot of just skittishness, um, you know, lack of focus, not really having his head in the game, frankly, a lot of the time. But the, the, uh, the 10.1 yards per target from 2021 would be the reason why it's not maybe completely time to give up on the guy. Yeah, I, I guess that's fair. However, if I, I'm looking at his 21 numbers, so he has 16 receptions on 20 targets. Mm -hmm. In the Denver game, that was early in the season. They got a W. Lamar played that game, and he had five catches, and I think that's the one where he had 70-something yards. And then they, they play that game in Cincinnati where both Lamar and I think Huntley were hurt. I can't remember if Huntley was hurt this. I know Huntley was hurt the second Cincinnati game this past year in 22. I don't remember in 21. I think that was the game that Burrow threw for almost 500 yards. But in that game, he has seven catches in that game. So he's got 12 catches between two games in a season where he had 16 receptions overall. And one of those games was a clear throwaway. And so 
while I appreciate the yards per target in the 21 season, I, I, I mean, that last game was mostly a preseason game. Like, I, I just... I Wait, mean, the, the week 16 sample. game you're talking about? It was the uh, Cincinnati game where they where Burrow famously wanted to throw for as many yards as possible because I think Wink had made the comment prior uh, when asking about how are they going to game plan against Burrow given that they had just game plan well against Aaron Rodgers and he made a comment that they're not fitting Joe Burrow for a gold jacket yet and Burrow um, stayed in that game very late and ended up throwing for over 500 yards. I'll have to look up the number. Well, I mean, fair enough, but, but, uh, you know, he, I, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put away this as a, as an exhibition game in week 16. I mean, the, the Ravens were still playing for their playoff lives in that game. And it, it, it was the one ugly game they had, I think down the stretch, right? So correct, they, they had correct. a lot of close games. Most of them losses, maybe all of them losses, um, and they, uh, uh, that Cincinnati game was the one time they got really badly blown out. Correct. And I, I, I just, I, I wouldn't put that in an exhibition category. It's a very important game and it's one of Prochet's best. I wouldn't, I wouldn't toss it out that way. Uh, it, my problem is he just has, he, you know, the number of games of that quality in his career, you can count on one hand, um, that, that he's, that he had that Denver game and that game, but you know, the record is what the record is. I don't think it's reasonable to take away any part of his record any more than it, than it's reasonable to start taking out the, the, the targets that were not quite perfect for him to make plays on in 2022 and pretend like that was, that's something that should have increased his numbers slightly. I just, I, I think you take the record as is I, I, we understand sample sure. size. Both of us, we both work with data. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's, it's fair to say, you know, that may not be a reasonable reflection of who he is at 10.1 yards per target. I just say 10.1 and 3.6. The truth is probably somewhere in between. In this case, I'm, I'm almost, I'm almost a hundred percent sure that's the case. You know, that, if he had, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Th- that's, that's a, that's a fair point. You made it, you make a fair point. I mean, it was a, it was a game down the stretch in the regular season. Um, I think I think my point is more so that it got a, it, it got out of hand pretty quickly. Um, Josh Johnson started that game for Baltimore. Um, it was going to be a tough game all the way around, and that's you know outside of that other Denver game, that's the only time he's really shown any sort of upside. That I think, to your point, I mean, if we throw out the twenty two season. Um, that's his. The, those are the two. Those are the two biggest upside games that he has had. Uh, I think the other thing to bring up is in his rookie season. I believe his his first target was intercepted and returned for a touchdown by Robert Spillane in that first Pittsburgh game. And I believe two out of three. Yeah, his second or third <laughs> target was also returned for a touchdown. So I, I was looking at one of the things I was really curious about in uh, in this preview is going back and looking at his draft profile and trying to figure out. If for both of these players, I think one, one thing that I find interesting is, is trying to think about how the Ravens viewed them in the draft and what they thought potentially the upside was. And so I tried to the extent that I could go back and look at the draft profile of both Pepe and, um, and James Prochet to see what, um, 
you know, how they, how would they were rated coming in? Because both of them are a little bit physically limited. And, the, the, and, and it's interesting, if you go back and look at Prochet's draft profile, it talks about how when the ball is launched, he's an alpha with ball tracking, body control, and razor sharp focus, which makes him a favorite in contested catch battles downfield. And razor so basically like- sharp focus. Right, which is literally the opposite of the observation you made about him last mm-hmm. year. And I think it's just, it, it, <laughs> these are some of the comments that I wrote down from his NFLDraft.com profile. It says, he blocks out and extends the catch on short throws. That first throw that was intercepted and returned for a touchdown, he like turns around and does a button hook in the middle of the field, and it's a little bit off target, and Splane cuts in front of him and returns it for a touchdown. Uh, very good win rate on contested catches. And it says, this, this, this is from the NFL.com profile, preposterous ball skills and instincts. And I, I'm not a professional scout. I, I, I just, when I watch him, I just, this is, I, I get the exact, I, I just, I wish he had that. I wish we saw that on the field. You know, one of the things, I, I, I try and evaluate talently that much different than other players. First of all, I, I probably put a, a higher valuation on the metrics coming out of college. I won't completely ignore the metrics, even though people say it looks like a football player, the skills are all there, the size, the length, everything. Um, I, I still need to see metrics that are, that are really good. And in particular, uh, on defensive players, I want to see high tackle rates and a low passer rating against, and a, a particularly a low yards per target against for mm-hmm. defensive backs. So we've had people be all over the board there. Uh, the other thing I like to do, and this I think is really is is really valuable, is try and look if you can. Highlights is oftentimes the most accessible stuff, especially for smaller school prospects where you don't always have full game film. You can get it; it's it's just a little bit harder. But one thing I like to do is you have a big time player who's had a lot of some good event, like Malcolm Forbes had interceptions. Go back and look at every one of those interceptions. You can do that and see what what common threads do those interceptions have in in how they got them. Were they tip balls? Did he undercut routes? Was he playing center field over top of the receiver in cover three? Did he look into the backfield? How's he finding the football? How's he returning the football after he does it? But try and find the common threads in that. I, I think I literally think there's a group of people out there. First of all, and this is completely supported by clip people who want to basically post one clip, give their opinions, and say why they love this player so much. And that's their contribution is, is they, they, they think about themselves in terms of number of reactable Twitter posts rather than what can I really draw from what I'm looking at and the other information that I have to write a, a balanced profile about this player. So anyway, I, I, I would like to see that done better. I, I respect people who've been through some of these you know camps to do it, whether it's scouting Academy or other things. Um, I just, I just see so many people shortcutting the process. I think a lot of that was done with Gonzalez. I think there was a general uh, feeling that Gonzalez was a, was a top corner coming out of this draft, and there was too much love for the guy relative to Witherspoon, uh, yeah. frankly. And it, and, and it just it, it didn't make any sense to me. And honestly, I, I, I allowed myself to get caught up in that a little bit because Malcolm Forbes and his – Malcolm Forbes. Emmanuel Forbes and his size was a little bit, you know, a little bit small – uh, but he, he he was a guy who uh, has so much else going on that he, and, and Gonzalez had given up a high yards per target number that you got to somehow at some point just 
subvert your own willingness to make subjective judgments about a player based on a few play and look at the whole series of plays. Because you know what you can't find, and this is true of Prochet too, nobody is going to set you up a reel with every one of James Prochet's receiving screw-ups. Not, not his drops, not his rece- I mean, that doesn't exist. So to find it, you have to look through everything or you have to trust the t- statistics to a certain degree on things like drop rate and, and, and other things. You'd love to be able to actually find those drops, look at those, and see what they have in common in terms of being focused plays and whatnot. But there's very few evaluators who will go to all the trouble to do that. So I, it, that's my little bit of soapboxing on, on why it's difficult to, to figure out what's really wrong and the whole laser focus thing. I mean, he did catch a lot of balls at SMU. So you got that. The offense is running through him. It's the kind of statement you can write on a piece of paper or on a Twitter thread, and no one's going to disagree with you because, hey, look at his total stats at SMU. Um, but the truth of the matter is the evidence was was probably there in part even there that it, that it, that there would be trouble at the NFL level. It's just a tougher game. Contested catches are tougher, all those things. I don't think there was probably the evidence of the lack of focus on the field. I don't think that what happened in 22 to him, I think, you know, if I'm not a sports psychologist, but it kind of just seems like he got inside his own head a little bit. And it was really a new problem. If I had to say. That's fair. I I guess I, I, I like thinking about, or just, you know, kind of thinking about the, how 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 the the rant you had about i don't want to call it a rant but but what you what you described about evaluators on the internet and and just i mean even nfl.com evaluators i think that's very fair i guess the thing that i was thinking about as it relates to both these players is what is it about them that the ravens staff the scouting staff which you know the the ravens Mm -hmm. do draft very well what was the thing that really um, you know, they really liked about Prochet specifically, since we're talking about him right now, what was the thing that made them, you know, think that this was a guy worth investing? Now, I, I, I will say, I don't, I don't think I, I was trying, I was racking my brain. I didn't have time to research this, but I don't think the Ravens have really had a late round wide receiver later than third round. That was even that that was very productive at all. Um, you know, I don't, I mean, I think like, I mean, they, they, unfortunately they haven't really drafted wide receivers all that well in general, but, but, you know, past the third round, I don't think many of those guys have really performed well. So that doesn't mean that they shouldn't draft those guys. Obviously you need to take swings where you can and you should. And it, especially in the later rounds, you're just looking for guys that have upside. And, you know, one of the things that we tend to do in the draft is we'll see a guy and we'll say, this guy, this guy reminds us of this other former player who famously made it out and, and did very well. And that's a, an interesting way to evaluate. And it's not most scientific, but I'm interested in your thoughts about that because I had one guy. Let me respond to that really quickly yeah. because they've, they've had three guys who've gone on to have good career that he drafted in the fourth round or later, Brandon Stokely. I wouldn't include Demetrius Williams in the group, even though he played a little bit uh, for the Ravens. Jermaine Lewis certainly had a terrific career with the with the Ravens for you know various ways. Anyways, he's a, he's a great example of a great draft pick because all his value is pretty much on his rookie contract. Uh, and Darren Waller is the third one. And Darren Waller is a weird character who had basically zero value on his first contract, and you know 
talked about some of the the self-destructive problems he had when he was playing with the Ravens. And uh, honestly, the, the the Raiders got all the value out of him. So, uh, uh, but the Ravens did have drafted three decent wide receivers. Unfortunately, two of them got all their value for other franchises. <laughs> okay. Ken, there, there is uh, the, the one thing that I count on you more than anything else is encyclopedic memory of everyone that's played. I, I wish I could claim that, but I went to profootballreference.com. I literally hit the draft. I, I sorted by position and it sorted it by round for me. And I just looked at all the names from four down. It's a lot of names, by the way. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 21 guys they've drafted in the fourth round or later at a wide receiver. So it's not, who, it's not a good hit rate. Who was the guy recently that threw his helmet into the Jordan Lasley? Yeah, the, yeah. The football. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So I, I, going back to Prochet, the, the one, the one name that I thought of, uh, that was a late round pick as a comparable athletic comp. This is, this is an awful comparison, mm-hmm. but Antonio Brown was a sixth round pick out of Mich- central Michigan. And it, 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 I, I was thinking, I was looking at the RAS profile for, for these guys because neither of them, uh, Prochet or Demarion Williams are considered athletic specimens. And mm-hmm. both of them have pretty low RAS profiles, but Antonio Brown, like curious, uh, interestingly has a worse RAS profile than James Prochet. And, you know, I indulge myself in some of his stats. I mean, off the field, Antonio Brown has his issues, but there was a stretch. He was uh, unbelievably great. You don't. We don't have to even repeat. Great. Yeah, we don't have. But, and so, but, but here's you know. here's. Let me let me tell you what the basic problem is with that. You're trying to compare a player who doesn't really fit the athletic profile of the position with a similar player who's the best ever at his position. So don't yeah. tell me Joe Thomas had short arms and say, yeah, 33 inch left tackles can work just fine. Bullshit. Yeah bullshit so, <laughs> you know it's and, and don't try and tell me that because somebody else had you know uh, you know an unusual height weight you know thing at at uh at, marshall at edge. yeah marshall yonder is a good one i you know a height guys who look like wide receiver at edge i typically end up being tremendously flawed even as situational pass rushers and just ask Aaron Maben if you want to want to find right, a guy who, right. who didn't work out it's just you know it, it, yes you can almost always find counterexamples in the long history of football of guys oh, what about Marshall Yonda? what about Joe Thomas these guys were somewhat short arm both of them uh, yeah. you know it it just stop it you know it's yeah. it's it's the overwhelming tide of of uh, evidence would tell you this is not the case and you know, even even with Linderbaum, you know, I tried to show the other guys who had been comps to him, and the guys with longer arms had worked out of center, and the guys with shorter arms had not, including Garrett Bradbury, who may have turned it around, by the way, but Garrett Bradbury in in that group, and you know, people then say, well, A is not like him because of, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. you know, we, we talk about this, you know, mushmouthiness starts going yeah. on. That, that, yeah. It's very difficult to listen to. So Totally. And the only reason that I brought that up is I was just trying to figure out what it was they saw in his game. And, you know, again, like it's, it's, it's he's a sixth round pick. It's worth taking on, taking a flyer on a guy that was uh, productive in college. But, you know, when it comes to the 2023 season, you know, uh, when the Ravens needed bodies last year, 
in the wide receiver core. They signed Deshaun Jackson and they signed Sammy Watkins. And both of those guys in very limited action were more productive than Prochet, who was with the team all year. And so, you know, I was trying to, I know we're going to get to the point of a good and great season. And I I was just racking my brain. Like what does a good season for Prochet on this team look like? Before we get there, what's, what what are, Turn this around now. Obviously, you know, we both can look at Prochet's 2021 se- 2022 season and say he was terrible. And I can look at 21, and I'm sure you can too, and say that was pretty good. Or you can say it's too small a sample size. But just give me your take the counter argument. What are your what can be your reasons for optimism for Prochet for this season? I think my reason for optimism would be a lot of the reports that I've been I've been hearing about what Munkin prioritizes in the passing game are precision, um, route running, um, some of the things that that we haven't really seen in Baltimore as far as uh, you know just creativity in the passing game that isn't necessarily just predicated on uh, backyard connection between great athletes Mark Andrews and Lamar Jackson. So. You know, someone that was really productive in the Ravens system for a couple of years was Willie Sneed, who was physically very limited by the yep. time the Ravens got him. And candidly, Prochet reminds me a little bit like physically of a Willie Sneed. And um, if the Ravens offense and passing game is able to do the things that we hope it can do, there is going to be room for a guy that can just make space underneath and catch passes you know, on a third and six or, uh, you know, move the change or maybe be an outlet on a first and 10 if the first or second read breaks down and you're available on the backside. So to me, like that, that would be, that's, you know, Prochet has primarily in my sort of uh, anecdotal uh, thinking about, you know, thinking about the plays that he's been successful, worked as a second or third option, um, not deep down the field, sort of in the intermediate area. And if, the Ravens' top receiving options, Andrews, OBJ, Bateman, Zay Flowers, if those guys are successful at doing the things that we hope they're able to do, there is going to be room for someone to just find the nooks and crannies in the defense and make catches. Okay. I, I don't disagree with that comment, but I don't think there's ever room for a receiver who's the fourth read or the even the third read on most plays with Jackson because – Plays break down, and Jackson then wants to find an outlet, and he has his favorites under those circumstances. I hope that set of favorites will increase, and it was better when Hollywood was here because he was peeling the top off the defense and getting opportunities for Andrews. But what I'll say is this. If Monken's offense goes to a read one, read two that is very well distributed for this team, and I think it should, you know, Challenge the whole field. Well, that means you got to throw to the whole field. You you got to you got to throw to matchups that are other than one on one matchups. You might have a a number meaning the number one guy on the number one corner is what I'm really talking about under those circumstances. But you 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 may have to try and throw to Prochet when you think you can get a matchup against a linebacker, and you your scheme is all built around you know getting profitable first and second reads for Lamar because Lamar's not going to get to his third read. Um, although that's something they really need to work with Lamar on is how do I increase my rate of reading such that I'm still getting a valuable third read? Uh, or how do I read at the line of scrimmage so I can eliminate reads one and three from my progression and just go to two and four right away? 
you know, how, how can I, how can I change what's, you know, what, what's going on uh, there by what I see at the line of scrimmage. But I think, you know, incumbent upon him is going to be becoming a better route runner with that. What I haven't really seen too much of from Prochet is real wiggle at the top of the route. You know, he's as a slot guy, he doesn't always get that as a um, option. He'd have much more of that to make a to make an outside um, uh, corner miss. But there's still opportunities to shake a guy, whip route, whatever it might be, when you're in the slot. And I think he needs he needs to show more of that ability. Um, if you're looking for other reasons for optimism, I, I think he, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say I think you kind of put me in a in a tough bind there because you were asking for reasons for optimism and I like candidly like there are five to six guys on the roster that I would enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet when you register with BetMGM you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features live betting options and the best daily promotions in the business and with BetMGM at your fingertips every play and every game matters more than ever place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply rather in that position than what I just laid out, like given the depth of the receiving sure. court right now. So I was just trying to think of ways that he could make an impact. And so put, like so, punt and kick so, returner. Yeah. Okay. There you go. So I was like curious, what's yours? Uh, well, I, uh, he, he's punt and kick returns that here, here's the big one. And this is the one I, I'm writing this up and I'm trying to think about how can I be positive about James Prochet? If the Ravens were to lose Duvernay, who is, I think, their primary gadget option. And the reason I say that is, is Zay Flowers is perfectly capable of being the gadget guy. They, they, can, they can run him jet motion. They can do things with him that they did with Marquise Brown. I think in some ways that kind of wastes who he is within a Monken offense because you want to stretch the field. You want to get him more opportunities to get safeties away from Mark Andrews, get safeties away from Isaiah Likely, get safeties away from Beckham, who's you know not the kind of separator he used to be. So you you want to you want to have some opportunities to create space. Zay Flowers has got to be down the field, not running orbit motion, not running jet motion as much. So Duvernay then becomes the guy again to to take over a lot of that roles. But if Duvernay for whatever reason is not available, and of course he was hurt last year, I'm looking at the team in terms of who's the next best guy to do it, and it might be James Prochet in terms of of uh, who they have right now. I mean, he he seems to have some of those characteristics. I don't believe he's fumbled yet in the NFL. Not too many total touches, but. Uh, but that's something, and you know maybe that's a maybe that's a way he could help the team. And then, uh, you know, I think if if I were to put one other thing, he plays on three of the four special teams units. It doesn't quite make him a core special teamer because he's not on the punt coverage unit, but he's on the other three units. And maybe that's enough between those elements. But if I were Prochet and I'm coming to camp, the first thing I want to do is. Malkin, I'm I'm there for you in whatever way you need me. If you want a backup guy to shadow Duvernay in all of these um, uh, gadget concepts that you might normally run with him, I'm happy to do that. Uh, but you know, something of that nature is what I'd like to see from Prochet because I don't think it's going to be a normal receiving route for him that is going to be profitable. That's totally fair. I would say of the guys on the roster that could be that backup gadget option, I would rather have Isabella Okay. as that guy. I mean, he has the athletic profile of a guy that can do that more than Prochet. And I, it, 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 so, I mean, that, that would be the guy that I would think would be the natural fit if we were just talking about a gadget kind of backup special teams guy. Is he, is he actually still on the roster? Yes, he's still on the roster right now. There you go. Uh, he's yeah. a, and, and there's no difference between the two at this point. A fourth year guy, a fifth year guy. It's a you know, it's a yeah. vet salary versus uh and and candidly when he was getting drafted, I think uh famously in, in high school in Ohio, he was the sprint champion over who is the uh who is the number one cornerback in um in Cleveland that uh, uh Hayden was- not, not no 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 I'm sorry I mean, Ward Ward yeah Ward uh, Denzel Ward 
uh, yeah, uh, Isabella was uh, like uh, an elite sprint athlete that beat Denzel Ward uh, in the state championship. And so like he has the athletic profile for okay. a guy like that. Great counter on that. So let's talk about a good and great season. And we've gone way too long, by the way, in James Crochet. <laughs> so we need to speed it up have. a little bit for Pepe. But sure. uh, a good season, what is it to you? So I think a good season for him is that he demonstrates enough progress in camp uh, and in the preseason that he is a priority, that he he's likely going to get cut. And he's a priority re-signed uh, 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 on the practice squad. Um, that if a guy goes down in front of him, that he can get elevated off the practice squad. He can fill in with depth. He uh, There's not a, a whole lot of drop-off if he's on the field in some of these situations. And, you know, he proves that he is capable of being on an NFL roster. I think that is, to me, a good season for him. Okay, I think that last point is different from what I have, but otherwise I think I'm, I'm in lockstep. Quality preseason keeps him in the Ravens' plans, makes the practice squad as available when needed. That could be to start the season because, hey, Bateman, we're not sure if he's going to be ready to go, so there's good, there might be another spot in the wide receiver room. Gadget play gets him on the field for several packages per game, and again, you might be right. Isabella might be a better option. And, and uh, you know, we certainly saw Isabella run jet motion a fair percentage of the plays that he was actually on the field to, to the point where it almost became, you know, a, something you could call out from the stands. And I'm sure the advanced scouts, you know, could have coached the opposing defensive coordinator on this as well. Uh, so, so there's that, uh, I think improved on field focus. He's just gotta, he's gotta be more aware of where he is on the field, obviously, and what's going on and, uh, avoid setbacks such as fumbles. That's, that's all I've got. I'm not, I've got no specific performance expectations that go with that. Just that, just that he, uh, is still in the Ravens plans due to that preseason. Sounds good. Give me a great, great season. Great season. Great season is that he shows enough in camp and in the preseason that he is legitimately in the mix as the sixth wide receiver, potentially to make the team out of camp. Um, you know, Tylen Wallace probably at this point in his career offers more in special teams. So I anticipate if they keep more than, what do they have, five? If they keep a sixth receiver, he's probably the likely one, assuming no one gets hurt. Um, but if Prochet is in that mix and he's uh, legitimately fighting for an opening day roster spot, I think that's candidly a great season for him and all of the other things are the same. So I, I would agree that Tylen Wallace also, because he's a year three player is in a better position than Prochet. And I, I would agree with your comments about uh, him as a special teams player. Certainly. Uh, I'll, I'll just tell you what I have for a great season for uh, Prochet is the wide receiver depth breaks down. This is obviously not a good scenario for the Ravens. Age, lingering issues, I think make that more likely than we want to admit. But, you know, you have some older players in, in Beckham and in Aguilar, and you have some guys who've already been injured in terms of Duvernay last year and Bateman last year, uh, and Bateman may be still right now, uh, that could make this a, a significant problem. And uh, if he gets another chance via that mechanic, gets on the field, plays 150-plus snaps, and returns to a reasonable level of per snap productivity, somewhere between 21 and 22, where he's maybe at seven yards a target. Not completely terrible, not necessarily what you want, but uh, but gives the Ravens a little something in the absence of their primary receivers. That's fair. Okay. How about we move on and talk about Pepe? Let's do it. 
All right. I hope people are going to still want to listen to this episode after <laughs> after some of the negativity involved. So uh, uh, he's entering his second year, drafted in round four in 2022. Uh, DaCosta was on film, mic'd up, whatever you want to call it, uh, during the draft. And they did have a chance to trade this pick to get two picks later on. There was an offer on the table for it, if I recall correctly. Uh, Pepe had a great preseason really had high hopes of who he might be. And one of the nice things about him was some versatility, play some slot corner and some free safety in that preseason look good. And, uh, you know, one of the things I thought I saw at least in the preseason was that he played longer than his size, a really good reach across the body uh, for a guy who had 29 inch arms or, or thereabouts. And, uh, you know, obviously size is going to limit the guy in the NFL, but that's something I thought I was picking up on. Yeah, he did have a – I mean, he was a curious pick. Again, I don't want to stay negative. I don't want to stay negative on this podcast, but when he was drafted last year, I remember looking him up and reading – I can't remember. I I don't want to get into that. I think the the famous thing that we've well documented is Tariq Willem was still on the board. Tariq Willem was 6'4", and he ran a Mm 4.26, and he had limited experience in college. and you've talked a lot about how these aircraft carrier corners are hard to come by. And that seems like an obvious guy, you know, I mean, I just listened to your podcast that you had with boss where you guys talked about JAD uh-huh. and the Ravens were really high on JAD. That was the one guy they really wanted in the fourth round. And, you know, it wasn't an uncommon consensus. I mean, Chris Sims, I, I, I read, I, I watched this like pre-draft in 22, um, cornerback profile and he had jad as a top five cornerback uh candidate uh, uh prospect and one of the biggest sleepers in the draft so there were people that felt jad was going to be uh you know had a lot of potential and so they drafted a guy with a lot of physical tools uh with their first fourth round pick and they came around and they got um pepe later in that round and you know he kind of profiles kind of similar to Tavon young um, and, you know, candidly to the Darius Webb, he's a little bit uh, shorter arms, actually a lot. Okay, you're doing arms. it again. I just going to say, and, 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 that, and that's okay. That's okay. But those guys were both great players for their size and complete outliers on any charted mapping of sure. guys who are five, nine. And that, that, that's <laughs> totally up. fair, except yeah. for Pepe has a better RAS for than Tavon Young, because I was racking my brain again. Like, why would they take this guy? And, 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 and Tavon, Tavon was, was was man his rookie season he came in and started on the outside and did yeoman's work Uh, i mean he was a fourth round pick at a record anyways but i was just trying to figure out like what they saw in pepe and i i I watched some of his highlights from last year and there were some there were some plays that he put on tape that were pretty impressive especially in that miami game um where he there was a couple there were a couple plays where he was in the slot manned up on tyreek and had no business getting downhill to make an open field tackle where he did that and he did that well and coming out of college that was one of the things about him was that he will get downhill and stick his nose in there and that's the thing i mean ladarius webb slot corner trade exactly we've talked about this ladarius webb was the best cornerback in the league for that stretch where he could play in the slot and get downhill very quickly and he was exceptional well, it's actually Lardarius Webb was great playing the outside too when he was the best cornerback in the league. But you're right; I mean, he's a great, he's a great slot corner later in his career, and and when in earlier his career, 
he would play both and, and alternate on a down-by-down basis because the Ravens didn't really have a better option at slot. But when they had four defensive backs on the field, he was back on the outside again. And that was the year he shut down Andre Johnson in the playoffs for Houston and just had, a, had an unbelievable year with a 42-passer rating. Against I mean, he, but he was the guy that would play – Antonio Brown when he was in the slot. He was the guy that would play Welker in the slot. Like he was the guy that we counted on to handle those really crafty route runner guys out of the slot. And so, you know, playing this forward to Pepe, when you look at the 2022 season, Baltimore, you know, if we step back, Baltimore had, um, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, they had really kind of a bizarre season where the offense started on fire. Mm -hmm. And then second half of the season was a mess. And the defense started a mess. And the second half of the season was on fire. And Pepe played a, a large portion of the snaps for the first eight games or so. And then as soon as Roquan was brought in and they moved um, Hamilton into the slot, like Pepe was basically – shelved and didn't play significant snaps the rest of the season. Right. I mean, he, he lost the role to Hamilton, right. but he, he also, he took the role from JAD and Stevens, that new England game, a hot mess. And you're right. The Miami game, he, he actually played pretty well. I thought despite giving up two touchdowns in that game, uh, you know, 10 targets for 42 yards. It wasn't like he, he was awful by any stretch, but, uh, but it didn't completely work out either. The next week, J.A.D. looks completely lost in covering Devontae yeah. Parker. And then Stevens went in trying to do the same thing. He couldn't get it done. And then they finally put Pepe in. And, uh, and I, you know, I thought after that that Pepe really looked like he was going to take over the slot corner role for the rest of the year. But the Ravens found the better answer. And, you know, they got creative in terms of using Hamilton there and just put him in slot corner and said, we're, we're going to roll with this. And it was the right move. There's no doubt about it. And I think we I, I want to – I want to move forward from here because one of the nice things about Pepe is one of the things that, you know, leaves the door ajar for him is that he has the slot corner characteristics. If I, if I look at the guys on the roster who can do it, you have Hamilton certainly could do it. You have Humphrey who they could, you know, would be making a sacrifice to move him to slot, but he could do it. And you have our Darius Washington. And I don't think there's anybody else in the whole group who really fits the role, you know, could somebody claim that Brandon Stevens would be a legitimate corner? Well, I guess if if you know if if Hamilton, with his hulking size and and limited speed, could be a value to you at slot, then you could make the case why Brandon Stevens could be. But I don't think there's a good reason why, instinct wise, reading the quarterback, downhill movement, the tackling ability. I don't I don't think there's another player other than um, Pepe and Ardarius who is really. A, a legitimate SCB candidate. And that's some of the, what I want to talk about on the rest of this episode. But where are you? Is there, is there another SCB on the Ravens' current roster? So Hamilton is an outlier because his instincts are just so exceptional. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, I, you know, I've, I've heard you talk about this a lot and I am per, my personal opinion is that I am not entirely against moving Humphrey to the slot. I, I, I like his physicality there. And, you know, I, I heard you say this on the JAD pod about, um, you know, his 
physicality at the catch point is really valuable on the outside. Mm -hmm. But I am specifically thinking about the 2019 overtime win in Pittsburgh where he um, he punches the ball out in overtime against Juju. Um, Juju, and I believe that play started in the slot. I think he was just following Juju around that game. And I could be wrong about this, but I think, you know, the one nice thing about having him in the slot is giving him a little bit of space to then come in and bat that out. And, you know, the, you know, again, like the year, the year the Rams won the Super Bowl was the year that they moved Ramsey to the star role where he was playing a lot in the slot. And, you know, I just think Marlon's physicality and I think the way that the modern game is played with these big receivers in the slot you know, the Justin Jeffersons of the world that play primarily out of the slot and the Cooper Cups of the world. Like, I, you know, I, I'm not opposed to having our best corner be in there. Now, the biggest issue is injury, which we can't afford with Humphrey. And right. so to answer your question, I, frankly, I don't, I, I don't really know what they should do. And that leads me to a question I wanted to ask you is if the Ravens can make one move to bring in an outside veteran at mm-hmm. either corner pass rusher or receiver which position do you pick yeah you're 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 a little bit stepping on my material here because i wanted to wanted to frame it up differently but i'll try and answer your question first let me try and answer your question first i i do think they've got one move coming at cornerback left i think it's going to be a right player right price move so they might look they might get an outside cornerback if that's the guy they think can provide real value to them and i think marcus peters be an excellent choice i think it is a matter of price at this point for marcus uh, I, I think they're fairly well convinced he can play. And it may be even a case of Marcus doesn't really want to go to camp. Mm-hmm. And and he'd, he'd like to show up and play football, but not not really go through camp. I know Justin Houston kind of wasn't a real big fan of doing that either. So right. I can understand maybe why why some of that would be true. Um, I think they can go they can go slot corner, and if they can get a guy around two, two and a half million who has either some sort of pedigree or or real hope. Uh, that he could play the slot well, uh, fits the Ravens' mold otherwise of being a good downhill player, contributes some in multiple ways. I think they might try that. Uh, Last year, Fuller was a guy they tried to fit in that mold. Now, Fuller had lost his slot job twice the previous year in Denver. So it didn't seem like a high-probability call to do that, but that's what they rolled with, and he was actually playing pretty well between the preseason and that first game before he got hurt. So, you know, I, I could understand if they did that. Um, I, the only other thing that I'll say about this is the decision on Hamilton. And I've said this a couple of times already. So you probably yeah. know because you listen I wanted to, to the a- podcast. I wanted to, a- I wanted to ask you about that. Well, go ahead. What am, what am I going to say? The decision on Hamilton, what? So you, you <laughs> so what you said in the J&D podcast is the Ravens need to decide. Like Hamilton has a chance to be a true star. So they need to put him in the best position to be successful yeah. and let all the other pieces fall where they may. Perfect. I, I, I could not have said it better. And you said I, it in fewer words. Yeah. But I thought that was an interesting point because football is a weak league sport. And so if – if 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 Stone is clearly the the fifth best defensive back on the roster, clearly, uh, uh, how do you make that decision if 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 it means you play three safeties and two corners? Like I I you know that that's that's something that I I was thinking a lot about that. Yeah, because um, I I just I think I think you say um, Hamilton is a. Uh, let's say you have your you you have you think of it as a number of units above 
average that you have in total to allocate to your defensive backfield. And Hamilton gives you plus 10 at slot corner, but it gives you plus 35 at, uh, you know, strong safety. And Stone gives you plus 10 and Pepe gives you a minus five. You can't let that decision yeah. overpower the, the the difference you get from Hamilton. So it's got to be about Hamilton, I think, because because there's just so much leverage in that decision relative to to community. So we're we're kind of set up for this. But let's say there are four possibilities in the universe of decisions the Ravens might make about this. And I think I I think that's not perfectly true, but let's let's say it is. So possibility number one, you might want to write these down because I'm going to ask you for percentages on each, and I can see you've been drinking. Well, I've been going on. So, so possibility number one is keep Hamilton at slot corner. Okay. Okay. Possibility number two is use Humphrey at slot corner because you bring in another outside corner who really fits more there. Peters is a perfect example of a player who fits on the outside. Yasin also on the outside. Humphrey be the only guy to play slot if those are the three guys and they want them on the field in nickel situations. Mm-hmm. Number three is bring in a veteran slot corner who uh, heretofore we don't know who that is. So cheaper. There's certainly more choices. It's a very common body type relative to outside corners, but that's choice number three. And choice number four, the job goes to somebody who's currently on the roster. And I think the top three candidates in order might be Pepe, Washington, and then I don't know, maybe Stevens uh, among non-Hamilton, non-Humphrey uh, cornerbacks. Okay, so Hamilton slot, Humphrey slot, outside slot, someone on the roster in the slot. Uh, out, out, right, outside the organization slot. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, or somebody, or, or and and in most of that, the most of that fourth category, I think is going to be Pepe being the the starter. I think you you got to believe in him if you want to kind of take a chance. I think they're actually going to because they're going to want to learn to play defense together. They're going to want to have Hamilton in whatever role he ends up at at first, which kind of commits you to a slot corner that might be Pepe. Now, of course, you could yeah. move Humphrey. They got one guy you could move there is Humphrey if you go out and get Peters. Yeah, the other the the the, the thing for me about I think the thing about this is breaking this down. Okay, so I'm going to say the outside slot corner. I think that's the 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 least likely. Option. Okay, give me a number on on that. So I'll say ten percent outside. Ten percent. Okay. So I'll go. So I'll go. So this is how I think they start the season. So I'll go forty percent Hamilton in the slot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then. Humphrey with another big outside corner. Is, yeah. Is, and then probably someone else on the roster I'll go at um, 30%. Um, and, then, and then Humphrey in the slot at 30%. 30, 30. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. So I'll go 25 and 25 Humphrey or someone on the roster. In 25 the and 25. So, okay. So yeah, I didn't. So I think. I think Hamilton is most likely the one interesting part about the the like the, the people on the roster is Trayvon Mullen has a guaranteed contract, so I'm really curious what they're going to do with him. Fifth, it's, he has a absolutely guaranteed contract. I'm pretty sure he signed fully guaranteed. I mean, it's not a whole lot of money, and it could just be 
because he's related to Lamar, but he's no, signing. I need to look it up because I don't believe it. Um, you are correct. It is fully guaranteed. Man. No, didn't didn't know that. So that's a that's definitely something that they would want to do. They're going to have to trade him. That means uh, if they if they can't find a roster spot for him, so that's that makes him a serious seriously significant camp uh, camp watch. Thanks for that, Brad. That's that's new information to me. Sorry, I, I should have brought that up earlier. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll just say you you had 40, 25, 10, and twenty five. I'm very similar. I have forty to keep Hamilton there, so I think that is the plurality decision here. 20 to, I'm sorry 15 to use Humphrey uh in the slot and get another outside corner I think they'd rather just have three outside corners because their depth there just sucks right now yeah, yeah um bring in a vet slot cornerback I have at 25 and so I think that's the second most likely and then the job goes to Pepe Washington Stevens or maybe even somebody else that we don't know on the roster currently is 20. yeah so very similar, the, the two of us. But but I did have the second most likely being the bring in the vet slot corner. Yeah, I, I don't. I just don't know what guys are out there. And Hamilton was so productive there last year. Mm-hmm. I I understand wanting to move him back, but I mean they were they were playing really good down the stretch. Yeah, and that does allow you to play Geno Stone. So in an all other things equal situation, I don't have a problem with that discussion. But Stone is a one year player with the Ravens. If he, if he goes back and he plays strong safety, exceptionally well, if he plays the back end on cover two, if he does the things he basically did with Marcus Washington, there's a chance he's the Ravens just end up losing him anyway. If he, if he stays, they keep him in a more limited role. He could become one of these rotating two year veteran guys where he stays captain of special teams here. Um, But a player like that, you will lose him if he has another vet offer for twice the vet minimum. So a $2 million offer takes him out of Baltimore. Um, a, a, I mean, I guess the Ravens could match that, you know, but, but I think it's, it's probably unlikely. I think he's probably gone. If, if the offer is, you know, between a two and $400,000 signing bonus, sure. He might stay with Baltimore. Mm-hmm. He might say, this is my better chance to play more years. But, uh, but I, I, you know, his play, Going in there and playing for Marcus Williams was so good, and I get a sense you you're buying into some of that too. Yeah. That that I'm um, I would be really loath to give up on that. I just I think the decision on Hamilton has to be the 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 centerpiece of this whole discussion. You got one incredibly talented player. He's he stands head and shoulders literally, and 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 uh, you know in in terms of talent above the others. And it, the decision has to be made on him first. That's fair. The one roster building point about this that when I asked you the question of who you would bring in if you could only sign yeah. a, a player from one of the position groups, I was thinking about how in, in the 21 offseason, we really kind of tried to piecemeal offensive tackle together. Stanley never came back, and the tackle situation with Villanueva on the left was, you know, submarine the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, they tried to piecemeal together the wide receiver position. Bateman goes down, and that really submarines the team. And, you know, this year, the, the, I'm, I'm concerned that we are piecemealing a little bit uh, the cornerback position. And Absolutely. And I mean, <laughs> we've just had some seasons, like uh, more seasons than not have been submarined by cornerback injury. And, and so I'm starting to feel a little concerned about that. And, you know, we're talking – this podcast is to talk about Pepe. Maybe yeah. he's the one that steps up and he can really show out in his second year. 
I, I that would be fantastic. Obviously, did let's jump right into that with a good season for Pepe Williams. What does it look like? So I think a good season uh, in the preseason, he shows progress um, in the slot and he makes the team uh, comfortably. And he is a guy that can rotate in um, in multiple receiver sets to either play the slot and nickel or dime packages uh, without too much, you know, feeling like he's too much of a liability. And it allows Hamilton to play more of that safety role more often and not be tied into the slot, but just that he is a, fourth fifth cornerback piece that can rotate in comfortably and we don't feel that he's going to get picked on immediately but frankly i think that's a good season for him yeah i, I think that's that's fair i've got something very similar makes a team as a backup slot corner see playing time on a rotational or matchup basis and it could be something that they get hamilton some back end snaps they actually you know use a two out of three of stone hamilton and pepe on per play and they allow it to be dependent whether it's 12 personnel which 12 personnel is probably going to be base with with hamilton just up there in a tight end's face a lot of the time but yeah it, it gives it gives an option for him to get on the field uh size does not show up regularly as a problem that's something i want does does enough that he's still in consideration for 2024 i've got no specific requirement for coverage other than i would like it to be near average you know, he's pretty bad this last year. Um, if he could improve to near average, I think that would be a lot. And I think the Ravens would potentially harvest a big gain from that. And this is a, this is a position you're talking about, you know, how they're cobbling together a secondary here. This is a wins above replacement situation. It's not a, you've got to be average situation. This is the, the Ravens season could be, could be submarine torpedoed, whatever you want to call it by having a guy who's at the replacement level at slot corner. Um, and I, I actually don't think the Ravens will allow that to happen because they can make changes on their own team to do it. But it's it definitely – if you run out of moves to make once you get to a certain point in terms of, of, uh, of uh, total secondary depth. How about a great season? Totally. What does that look like? So I think a great season is coming out of camp. He is – um, pretty much the clear slot cornerback in situations where they they clearly want Hamilton on the back end, and so you know he's like a he's first or second choice in this scenario, and we're not primarily looking at Hamilton in the slot, but we're primarily looking at Pepe, and he can solidify himself in that role. I, I'm I'm basically very similar. I say another fine camp preseason makes the Ravens give him the slot cornerback job as Hamilton has moved to a full-time strong safety role. Pepe does enough to hold it for most, if not all, of the season. Slot coverage is league average, and I'm okay even if that's multiple players. Him and other players are providing a league average total at, in, in terms of coverage out of the slot. He plays solid downhill football despite his size. Tackling's not an issue, and he contributes to one to two turnovers. That's a lot of like spare change in there, but I think we're talking in this case about, you know, a 400 to 600 snap season from Pepe, maybe even more than that. If he, if he were to fulfill these kind of things. So he really should make some plays in that period of time. Cause the Ravens do a lot with their slot corner. Absolutely. And he started last season playing between 40 and 60% of the snaps for the first six or so games and then just mm -hmm. stop. So if he starts on that trajectory and continues, I think he'll get, close to that 600 snap season you're talking about 
All right, Brad, outstanding to have you on. Always a lot of fun to talk football with you. And this was, this is an interesting pair to talk about. And, and, you know, I've, I'm watching something on TV about Welcome to Wrexham, by the way, a show about yeah. the have, – have you heard about it, the Hulu yeah, show? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we have it a meet the meet the previous general manager, I don't know, managing director, I think it was his actual title, who's in the show on our, on our trip just now. He's, he's in our Jeep, you know, every day. And we're, <laughs> we got to talk a little bit about this. And uh, uh, it, it, was, it was really interesting that, that – um, uh, they really get into how the fans are just consistently whining about everything. You know? And I think that's part of the fun we have is we have to complain and worry uh, excessively, even though there's really obviously nothing we can do about it, but we can, we can talk about it. We can, you know, <laughs> debate it a little bit. And these are a couple of guys I think who are, uh, as you said, right up, up front are, are on the margin. They're, they're both, neither of them is guaranteed a roster spot. Uh, as the season goes on, Pepe's probably got the better chance of the two to make the team. Um, but even he is not a sure thing. If they bring in people from the outside, they may suddenly, you know, find a practice squad spot for Pepe as opposed to a, a 53. Well, in this time of year, it's all about, we're typically uh, flush with optimism. So we always <laughs> want to be a little bit pragmatic as we come at this. On the other hand, you've been doing that one play episode uh, series for a while. And so many of those guys who made those critical plays were guys on the margin. So these guys do and can really matter. Um, it's just a matter of, they need to, they need to seize the moment. There this. you go. We'll just, we'll just remind remind them to be Anthony Mitchell at the right time and they'll be fine. Anyway, <laughs> Brad, Brad, great having you on again. Uh, tell folks where they can talk football with you online. I'm MC Bradley on Twitter. Okay, McBradley. That's pretty easy to remember. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. July's the time. Uh, I still have a couple of pairings left, if anyone would like those uh, to do for the for the remainder of this series. Hit me up with a DM on Twitter. They're always open. I'll get back to you very quickly. Uh, other topics are fine as well. Brad, thanks again for coming on. Thanks, Ken. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.